Well, good morning, Sailorville. It's good to be back. And uh, back in our series, uh, Your Questions and God's Answers, as I invite you to take your Bibles, if you brought one, on your tablet, whatever, and find Luke chapter 18, if you would, Luke chapter 18. Around here at Sailorville, we have a motto, more people, more like Jesus. But if you're a legalist, it's more people, more like me. Or more people, more than Jesus. And that's the question before us this morning. How do I know if I'm a legalist? And I know what some of you are thinking, <laughs> that was me at one time. Hey, hold your horses just a little bit here, okay? And there's going to be a lot of stuff coming your way, a lot of scripture. And I've got 14 signs you might be a legalist at the end. Don't write them down. Put your pen down. We'll send it out to you later because it's going to come at you like a cavalcade. But we need to, first of all, answer the question, what are we talking about when we talk about legalism? Because there are basically two different kinds. There's theological legalism and there's practical legalism. Theological legalism is, is, is the kind that will damn you if you get this wrong. Theological legalism is simply adding to the gospel. Daniel Nimmers hit on this last week with Jesus Plus, right? Any theology, any church, and I was raised in one of them, that teaches Jesus Plus, Jesus Plus baptism, Jesus Plus the sacraments, Jesus Plus good works, etc., is patently legalist. And if you're in a church like that and you know Jesus, get out. Because it's not preaching the gospel. It's actually convoluting it. The other one, much more familiar to many of us, is practical legalism, which I've defined as attributing spiritual acceptance from God based on outward conformity to man-made rules of the day. All right? I'm spiritual. I'm right with Jesus because I'm doing this and not doing that. And just the other day, I was with a new friend. He was not a church grower or church goer growing up. Uh, this man was very open to the gospel. He was not a churchgoer per se, but he got a lot of churchy stuff and had a lot of religion in his life. In fact, somebody close to him had, uh, had told him that he needed to pray the prayer all of his high school years. And he, he prayed that prayer just like some of you over and over again, but it was never real. So I took this, this friend and beginning at the beginning of the Bible and the book of Genesis and Genesis chapter 3 and Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, I showed that from the beginning, from the entrance of sin into this world, man has constantly been turning a relationship with God to a religion of man, of, of basically self-righteousness. And man has got, got so good at it by the time Jesus comes around, they're so good at it, they are equating relationship with God with things like the way you wash your hands. It was all self-righteousness. And by the way, speaking of Jesus' day, Jesus saved his strongest words you'll find anywhere in the New Testament for the legalist of his day. Now, 
It's no secret if you've been around here, you know that I hate tattoos. I don't hate you. I just don't like tattoos, okay? Uh, and uh, by the way, uh, if you're going <laughs> to argue from the Old Testament that God's against tattoos, then you have to also argue that he's against trimming your beard because the verses are right next to each other in juxtaposition in Leviticus 19. I don't see anybody making that argument. No, no, a thousand times no. Legalism isn't about hair or clothing or styles of music or forms of entertainment or drinking or inking. I thought that was kind of clever. <laughs> no, it's deeper. It's a whole lot deeper than all of that. It's, it really is a heart issue. And if you're not a Christian, legalism will damn your soul. And if you are a Christian and you've allowed its tentacles to get into you, as I know many of you have, all morning long, I'm getting texts from people in the church that have been here already, so buckle down. If you are a Christian and legalism has gotten its ugly tentacles in you, it will destroy the vibrancy of your walk with God. So briefly, just a quick plethora of scriptures that touch on legalism, starting with Romans chapter 14. Here we go. Romans 14, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. By the way, have you ever read that little slice of scripture? Uh, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. And then in Galatians, which is the epistle to go through on the subject of legalism, Paul says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Pretty good question, by the way. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. And then my personal favorite on legalism right here. Paul says, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit, you're now being perfected in the flesh? That's pure, go back, that is pure unadulterated legalism right there. And now, and then chapter five, verse one, thank you. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And then this extended passage in Colossians where Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to festival or new moon, Sabbath. These are shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now watch this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you are still alive in the world. Do you submit to the regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, keyword, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Strong, strong stuff. So allow me, if you'll indulge me, to take you on a very, very personal, many years old, 
but very embarrassing journey into my early days as a pastor. And sadly, something that repeats itself way too often. As a young pastor, I was zealous about everything. I know that comes as a shocker to you. It didn't matter if it was biblical or not biblical or extra biblical. You name it, I was passionate about it. Dress, movies, marriage, divorce, remarriage, alcohol, baptized. Who baptized? Because only the pastor baptized. Music, the whole nine yards. And I come into this little country church with a small handful of people, but they, those who were there, were they, it was chock full of older, godly saints who loved God and loved their Bibles. One of them was a man by the name of Bill Clark. You've heard of Bill before. Some of you have been coming. You remember the time I told you about how I was, I was, I, I told people in a smart aleck way to open their Bibles to one of the clean pages. I was in Ezekiel. I mean, nobody knew this passage. Oh, really? Bill comes up to me after the sermon. The clean pages, you know, the ones nobody even reads, much less writes in, were just filled with his notes. That was Bill. Well, I love my Bible too. I love God. And I preached the Bible fervently and expositionally. But I was also in those days a full-on practical legalist, even though I was unaware of it. But here's the deal. In those days, many were getting saved. They were getting baptized. The church was filling up. And the results, keyword, the results were the reason that many people turned a blind eye to my extra-biblical rants. I was gathering uh, an army of well-intentioned followers <laughs> who weren't just following Jesus. They were following me. Those who were troubled over my extra-biblical rants kept to themselves, you know, being in the minority wasn't helping their cause. And, you know, truthfully, in my own mind's eye, I kind of just put a little asterisk next to them because, you know, they were sort of the weaker brother. They weren't getting it. Or so I thought. My strong personality added yet another layer to my armor, making it even harder to get through to me. Bill was one of those guys who was in the minority. He was in his 70s. A tall, handsome guy, very winsome, incredibly joyous, as I've already mentioned. He knew his Bible. He was a tremendous Bible teacher as well. He loved the Word of God, loved the preaching of the Word of God. And he was one of my greatest encouragers. In fact, Bill, actually Bill, in 1985, in the summer of 1985, when the church was just down to a handful of people, I mean, just a small handful. It was a prayer meeting. Bill stands up and says, you know what? I think uh, we need, I just need to tell everybody, we're dying. Let's just admit it right here. And if God doesn't bring revival to us, we're going to have to close the doors. He said that in a prayer meeting and called the church to prayer that God would bring revival. The very next week, Nick and Sandy Nissen, remember that name, Nick and Sandy walked into the church with their newborn baby. They hadn't seen a young couple, much less. There had been a baby in the nursery. They couldn't remember the last time a baby was in the nursery. 
My wife and I had led Nick and Sandy to Christ right here at Cedarville Baptist Church in the early 80s. And he was the answer to their prayers. And so I, through a series of circumstances, I got invited up there to speak. That's where I would remain for the next 12 years. And God brought forth real revival. And Bill's call to prayer was answered the very next week and beyond. And as I mentioned, he was one of my greatest encouragers. He loved my preaching of the word. He loved seeing people get saved. But he hated legalism. And he disdained it whenever I would go beyond the word of God and go off on one of my biblical rants on one of the aforementioned subjects. And one day, even though in the minority, he just couldn't take it any longer. I'd preached the message. I'd gone off on some subject, probably music. I was always going off on music. Sorry, Paul. Uh, and I was standing at the door getting a bunch of attaboys, you know. Oh, great message. You know, I was just getting affirmed all the way. And here comes Bill. And Bill was not, a, was not an exhorter. He was not a, com, com, a confrontational man. And he walked up to me. I could just see the sternness in his face. It was just not Bill. He shook my hand, and he looked right at me, and he said, stick to the Bible's sins, pastor. There's plenty of them to preach. That ticked me off. <laughs> he couldn't even say something nice about my message? Surely there's something he liked. In fact, I knew so instinctively what he was referring to, I started to defend that extra biblical thing I went off on. And I could watch his face. All I was doing was putting more hurt on top of the hurt that was already there. And he just looked at me again and he said, stick to the Bible's sins, Pastor. There's plenty of them to preach. I was so mad. But Bill was a Bible guy. And that's what I wanted to be. But I realized in that moment, or really not then, because I was still kind of arguing with the lawyer inside of me. I was defending myself, but I wasn't a true biblicist. It's what I need. I needed to be more like Bill and less like myself. Those words literally were burned into my brain. Stick to the Bible, sins, pastor. There's plenty of them to preach. And God would use that encounter to bring me to repentance and to come up with this thought, not unique to me. Stop placing personal standards on the same level as Scripture. Amen. And so a few years later, I attempted to undo all the problems, all the wreckage that I had created. And I pulled all of the adults in this now church that had grown and actually built a new facility, pulled them all together and started teaching on the subject of just biblical Christianity and against legalism. I started by saying, just because you're strong on a certain issue doesn't make you biblical. It just makes you strong. Strong, authoritative people with abilities to influence others do not prove their rightness on a given subject simply by combining strong words with human reasoning. 
And God, wouldn't you know it, has strong words himself for those who go beyond his words. Like the Proverbs, which say, do not add to his words or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. My personal favorite comes from the Apostle Paul, who said to the Corinthians, he said, I've applied all these things to myself and to Apollos. By the way, it's always good to apply scripture to yourself first. For the benefit of, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Have you ever read that? That none of you may be, what, say it. Say it. Because that's what you become when you go beyond what is written. You become puffed up. You become arrogant. You become proud. You become me in that moment. Adding to Scripture, distorting Scripture, or going beyond the Scripture are all strongly condemned by the Scripture. My favorite extra-biblical quote, which is kind of ironic since I'm talking about this right now, is from MacArthur who says, a human standard may be more lenient than Scripture or more restrictive than Scripture, but it can never be better than Scripture. Boom, shakalaka. That is so true. Go back, let them see it. A human standard might be more lenient than Scripture or more restrictive than Scripture, but it can never be better than Scripture. Thank you. Human nature struggles to let God be God. Let the Bible speak what the Bible says. Human nature loves to go beyond the word of God. Seriously, Lord, you, if you knew better, you would have put this in there too. So while priding myself as a Bible guy, I was really, as Larry Osborne writes in his excellent book, Accidental Pharisee, I was an accidental Pharisee. I unintentionally was adding human reasoning to a number of things the Bible had addressed as clearly as God himself saw fit to have them addressed. And speaking of Pharisees, and he, the Pharisees mentioned here in this parable, they are a classic study of legalism. Their very name is synonymous with legalism. In fact, the word Pharisee means, ready for it, separated one. Osborne in his book, uh, talks about the difference between old school legalism and new school legalism. He says, old school legalism asks, what's in your refrigerator? You know, because you might have some beer in there. New school legalism says, what's in your driveway? It's more of a status symbol today. But it really doesn't matter. It's all the same. It's all legalism. Legalism, practically speaking, is attributing spiritual acceptance before God based on outward conformity to the man-made rules of the day. I was in a family camp preaching uh, some time back, and, uh, and they, they set up a Q&A time for my wife and I. We were on the platform, and we were getting questions from the audience. It was a large audience, probably 400-plus people, and from lots of different churches from around the state. And somebody asked the question on alcohol. And I knew right there I was on a tightrope. 
because most of these churches had taken super strong, in many cases, extra biblical positions on alcohol, and I, positions I myself had once taken. But I, I knew my audience, and I really wanted to be respectful of them. And so I was very measured with my response. I said, look, drunkenness, the giving over of your faculties, your control is sin. Everyone should know that and agree with that. And flaunting your liberty, if you want to call it that, before others, that too, Romans 14, is sin. So while I was on a tightrope, I felt like I stayed on it. I didn't fall off. And at the end, super encouraged by the masses of people. And it was really encouraging. I felt good about the way I addressed the matter until I got back to Sailorville and I got a letter. I got a typewritten letter. Seriously, a typewritten letter with an old typewriter. Excoriating me for daring to even answer the question, much less the way I answered it. It was a full-on assault against me, pulling verses out of context from everywhere, just creating sort of a circus mirror-like image of what he was trying to create. And I'm pretty sure he didn't want to dialogue with me. But here's the deal. Listen carefully. It is in your sinful nature and mine to add to God's word. That is the lure of legalism. So I would urge you to consider this morning the things that you're so passionate about, things you call convictions, and may very well be. Ask yourself a couple questions. Are they clearly biblical? That makes sense. And then this, do they belong in the category of things all of us should believe, all of us should do? The great Bible expositor, theologian, and pastor, Warren Wiersbe, who went to be the Lord a few years ago, uh, befriended a guy in our church. Many of you know him. He was an intern here. He's now pastoring in Mount Pleasant, Zach, uh, Zach Fisher. And he became friends with Zach. One day while Warren was sitting in his office studying, writing books, he just wanted to encourage Zach. So he took pen, put pen to paper. And this is an exact copy of what he sent Zach, who sent this to me. Here's what he wrote. Here's what he wrote to the young, aspiring pastor. Zach, there's a difference between convictions, opinions, and prejudices. With convictions, we say, I know, and we're willing to go to jail for it. With opinions, we say, I think, and are willing to consider other points of view. With prejudice, we say, I feel, and we really don't have reasons why. Warren Wiersbe needs to put, should have put another W after his name, or at least weekend. Wisdom. That is wisdom is what that is. So as I said, Jesus, by Jesus' day, this had taken full root. And he saved his strongest words for the legalists. We don't have time to read the whole, the whole pack, pass, pack, or passage. rather. Let me just give you a slice from Matthew 23 where he gives seven woes to these Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Don't ever accuse Jesus of not using humor. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. Can you see Jesus? First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to the others, but within, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let's be clear. God hates legalism in all of its forms. So when Jesus said in Matthew 15 to these very same people, he said, you people draw near me with your mouth. You honor me with your lips, but you're what? Your heart is far from me. In vain you worship me, teaching doctrines and commandments of men. That verse I just quoted to you is one of the most important verses that helped me get out of a theologically legalistic religion. But I quote it to you because he says, it's your heart. This is a heart issue for some of you. Some of your hearts are far from God. You don't know God. You've never come into a relationship with God. And some of you who know him have allowed the tentacles of legalism to get back into you. It's clear from the parable which one of those guys, the Pharisee or the tax collector, went home justified, right? So here's what we're going to do. This is going to be, this is a fire hydrant. So put your pen down. We'll send this out to you. 14 signs you might be a legalist, okay? Here's the first one. You read your Bible to get a check mark rather than to meet with God. Jesus said to these very same people in John 8, 37, my word, you call yourself Abraham's children, but my word has no place in you. The Greek word place means expansion. It means, it means room. It means there's, it has no advancement in you. You read your Bible every day, but if it's not expanding you and drawing you closer to God and to God's people and to the lost world, what are you reading your Bible for? It's just a check mark. You might be a legalist. Secondly, your spiritual disciplines define your spirituality. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, that's three oohs. That's what's going on here. Did you see that? Did you see in verse 11? God, I'm thankful that I'm, I'm not. Starts list, I, 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 I. Five eyes in the Greek text. Five eyes. You've heard of five guys burgers. This is five eyes bull. That's what this is. When your spiritual disciplines define your spirituality, you are a legalist. Thirdly, you refuse to forgive, though you've been forgiven. I mean, this Pharisee wasn't blind. He could see in his peripheral vision, though often a distance, this tax collector groveling before God, and yet verse 9 says he disdained him. Jesus said in Matthew 18 in the parable of the unforgiving servant, if you having been forgiven are unwilling to forgive, and the last verse says, from your heart you will remain in spiritual chains. And you're a legalist. Fourth, you judge others before you listen to them. 
Does that resonate? You've made judgments, you haven't even heard them out. He who answers the matter before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. Proverbs 18, 13. You've read that, haven't you? Fifth, you justify yourself by comparing yourselves to others. Do you do that? This is a big one. You justify yourself by comparing yourselves to others. Again, look at verse 11. We keep alluding to this. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not what? Like other men. The term like is a term of comparison. This is exactly what he was doing. Sixth, you feel the need to out someone else's sin publicly. If that's you, you feel the need to out somebody else's sin publicly, shame on you, number one. Number two, you're a legalist. This is exactly what the Pharisee does. You don't see it here, but look how he starts to itemize. He says, I'm, I'm not like other men. What's the first word? Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or like this tax collector. Tax collectors were such scum of the earth because they were notorious extortionists. They extorted money from people. Rome said, get this much money for us. The rest, whatever you can extract, is yours. He was clearly thinking of the guy groveling next to him. Seventh, you might be a legalist when your schedule is so tight it doesn't have a if the Lord wills in it. Now, God's not against structure, but he's more against following him, being led by the Spirit. And if you want to break yourselves from legalistic, got to do this, boxy, 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 check mark, check mark, check mark, just read the life of Jesus. Jesus was the most flexible man to ever walk the face of this earth. And if you have no place in your life for if the Lord wills, you might be a legalist. Eighth, you separate your spiritual life from your natural life. That's the most, that's the most blatant form of hypocrisy. We've all seen it. The guys who become deacons and Sunday school teachers and everything else, ushers and whatever else, and they're out there partying. Their whole life is a disaster. Their marriage is a disaster. Their family life is a disaster. They're terrible employees. They have foul mouths. This is the height of hypocrisy when you separate your spiritual life from your natural life. Ninth, you only hang out with saved people. I got one word for you, if that's you. If you only hang out with saved people, I have one word. No, it's a name. Jesus. Jesus. That's all you got to hear. And if you only hang out with saved people, just label yourself what you are. You're a legalist. Ten, you love the praise of men more than the smile of God. Where is your true heart motive? Eleventh, I'm going to come back on myself here for a moment. You're more interested in conformity than conversion. This is a big one. This is a big one. You're more interested in conformity than conversion. Remember Nick, the guy that, the answer to prayer to Bill, Nick and Sandy came to church with their little one, nursery's being used. I led Nick to Christ, he was my friend. It was because of that that I came up and I became the pastor of the church. I loved Nick. He was super tenderhearted. He had a great voice and he would sing. But he was a smoker. 
By the way, if you're, if you're a smoker, smoke is not going to send you to hell, okay? You just smell like it on this side of eternity. <laughs> so I said to Nick, you're not going to sing again until you, until you knock off this habit. He's a brand new Christian. He was so discouraged. He was so disheartened that he left the church. Oh, he... It gets worse. I led the leadership of that church to discipline him and his wife out of the church for not coming back to church. So when I say that I was a Pharisee, I'm not exaggerating. I thank the Lord that he brought me to repentance through Nick. And I was able to reconnect with Nick seek his forgiveness, receive it, and become friends all over again. But my interest in conformity nearly destroyed his life. I'm ashamed of myself. Twelve, you make the little things big and the big things little. If you make the little things big and the big things little, just call yourself what you are. Did you catch that reading from that litany that, that beat down Jesus gave the Pharisees and scribes? I'll quote it to you. You tithe mint, anise, and cumin. Those were garden vegetables. But you've forgotten the weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, faith. These things you ought to have done without forgetting the others as well. What they had done is they had inverted their priorities, which is what some of you may have done. You've inverted your priority. He didn't tell them to quit tithing on mint, anise, and cumin. He just said, get your house in order. And I would just say this to you. If, if God has granted and given to you a certain passion for serving him and serving others in some particular cause, then go for it. Go for it with all of your heart, but not at the expense of the greater cause. Does that make sense? Because if that's where you are, you're a legalist because you're making the little things big and the big things little. Thirteenth. And God saved me from preaching messages with 14 points from here on in. <laughs> you look for details in a confession rather than brokenness. This is a big, big deal right here. You look for details in a confession rather than brokenness. Did you see what it says here when the focus Jesus puts on the tax collector? He can't even look up, right? Beating his chest. And he gives a very, very lengthy confession. Here it is. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he's the one who goes home justified. No pound of flesh. He knew his own heart. He knew God did. You go to the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. He's coming back. You know the story. He's been in a pigsty. He's, he's rehearsed his confession, the whole thing. He comes and sees his guy, his dad, his dad who sees him coming, comes, dad, 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 I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worth, shut up. Kill the calf. Put the ring on his finger. He's back. There's no litany. There's no itemization. There is brokenness. And on that, it's 
good enough. But if you're a person who's always out for the pound of flesh, come on, list him. Can you imagine that prodigal son? He's halfway home. Forgive me, Father, I've sinned again. Oh, don't just tell me this, you know, this generic sin against that. You tell me your sins. Start listening to him because I got them all recorded in my book. If you're more concerned for details than brokenness, you're a legalist. None of that here. And just the other day when I met with my friend, I referred to at the beginning that having this study took him through the word of God, showing that man has always taken relationship and turning it into religion. I said, let me take you to the passage I'm preaching on Sunday. We read carefully this passage. And God just melted his heart right there. This 28-year-old man. He, tears welling up in his eyes, confessed himself to be a sinner, cried out for mercy and grace, and trusted Jesus as his Savior. And when I said to him, all of your sins have been forgiven, he just wept. He knew what his sins were. He knew God did. He didn't have to list them in front of me. Finally, you're a legalist when you reject the truth tellers who come into your life. That's what these Pharisees, that's why they get, get, became so enraged with Jesus. They kept telling the truth. And Paul said to the Galatians, Have I now become your enemy because I speak the truth to you? Have you read that? So, has legalism gotten its tentacles into you? We're done. I mean, just the other day, a, a gal came to me at another coffee shop who had heard me preach a message something like this about a year ago in that very camp. And she says, not a day goes by in my life that I don't think of that message. Are you thinking about it right now? Is there something you need to repent of? I look forward to seeing Bill again in heaven. Until then, I, I, I preach on sins, a lot of sins, Bible sins. And what do you know? There are, really are a lot of sins in the Bible. And when I get to heaven and I see Bill, I'm sure he's going to be able to say, I told you so. <laughs> but I don't think he will. I think he'll just give me a hug and chalk it up to the grace of God in, my, in this kid's life that was just a kid in those days. And besides, there are not going to be sins to preach about it by then anyway. We're done with sin by then, right? I purposely didn't read the last line that Jesus said, but here it is in front of you. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Some of you need to humble yourself for the first time because you've been trusting in everything else but Jesus to save you. Today might be the very day where you need to trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And those of you who know him, but you've allowed some of those tentacles and you could list them, they're in your mind. Just repent right now. God knows that. You're looking at a, I, I'm a card-carrying Pharisee, guilty. But I've enjoyed forgiveness through repentance you can too. God, we thank you for the question and the answer of what 
it is, what's it like, what does it mean to be a legalist? I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be powerfully working in our hearts this morning, causing repentance. And those who need to know Jesus, trusting anything else but Jesus alone. And those who know you, Lord Jesus, who have somehow or another seen it as more people, more like me, in one way, shape, or form. And maybe if that's you, dear friend, and you, there's something right now you need to just confess, just do it right now in your quiet. Just do it. Repent of your sin. Tell God you're sorry. And make a commitment to no longer rise up, raise up your personal preferences on the level of Scripture. May God be glorified in your life and in mine for his glory and the furtherance of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.